Thank you so much for visiting us online today. We believe God wants to speak to you through the following message. If you would like to connect with us or send us your prayer request, visit us at kingsgatehobs.com. We're into our second night of this conference of the uh, Resurrection Week, right? It is a good thing to celebrate and commemorate this week, although the world sees it as, well, their attempt. And when I say the world, I'm talking about the forces of darkness. Please understand that the things that you see going on in this period, or let's say historically, throughout the existence of mankind, all the grotesque things, the horrible things, all the things that hate God, hate the things of God, that is the manifestation of darkness into this reality, okay? It's not a strange thing. You don't have to see demons with horns to know that they exist. All you have to do is basically look at human behavior in a certain context that is basically in a position to reject the things of God and understand that, yes, in part it does come from humans because, well, when we fell, we became the enemies of God, as Scripture teaches us, right? But also it comes through the influence of the satanic powers. So when we see the things that we see, we can actually say, yes, the devil is real. But if the devil is real, we know God is, as we say in Jersey, more real-er, I guess we can say. <laughs> right? Right? We know he's real. Right? So much real that the evidence of the existence of God is in a transformed life. When people try to basically debate with me regarding prove the resurrection, you know, prove that resurrection, I says, well, you're looking at it. They're like, what do you mean? I said, well, the evidence of the resurrection is a transformed life. That's why one of the interesting things about the resurrection, uh, the first person that went to the tomb was who? Mary of Magdalene, right? Notice it wasn't the men. Right? <laughs> it was Mary of Magdalene. And it's interesting because God, I want you to understand, God does not do things randomly. God does not set out to do a thing and then like most of us, like we go to the car, drive down the street and say, I forgot myself. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I forgot. You know, God doesn't operate that way. God is about details to the degree that when we think about the details, that he made sure that the first person that went to the tomb was a person who was transformed by the power of the gospel. That's why when you see the resurrection message and you see that Jesus came out, the first person you see, which is the tangible evidence of the power of faith into the resurrected Christ, is a transformed life. That's why when people say, well, he's not the same anymore, well, that's because he lives. He lives. And so tonight, I want to speak to you uh, from John chapter 19, verses 38 to 42. John chapter 19, verses 38 to 42. And if you have it... If you don't have it on your phone, you could just read it on the screen, right? 
We're going to have fun with this message tonight because I was excited today here in the temple with Pastor and the other ministers. And when the Holy Spirit really, really dropped the revelation on me while I was praying, I said, oh, that is really good. So it says, afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Say, that's heavy. The anointing is heavy. Right? Because if you need something to destroy the yokes and destroy chains, you need something that is heavy. Suffering is heavy. But guess what? Salvation is heavier. That's why salvation can destroy the chains and the yokes in your life. Right? And it says, following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And so, because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Father, we joyfully exalt the name of Jesus in your presence, the name of your beloved and precious Son, Father, the one that sits at your right hand. Father, we thank you for blessing us with your blessed Son. Father, you have given us all things in him. And Father, this evening we are here to hear the Spirit's voice. We are here, Father, to hear what the Spirit has to say. We are here to receive the Word of God. Father, which has life-giving, resurrecting power. Father, delivering power. Father, to deliver us, O oh Lord God, and to give us strength and hope, O oh Lord God, and the certainty, Father, of a victorious future. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the title of this message is called Preserving the Word. It's interesting how we in the church, we are taught so much about Scripture, and we are taught about how to memorize the word and how to keep the word fresh, right? It takes me back one time when somebody was teaching me about how they, during a time of when they were being raised, um, how they grew up poor. And he was saying that he comes from an Italian family. And he was teaching me how, during that time of poverty, how they would preserve bread, and I found it interesting because he said to me, well, what we would do is we would throw it in the freezer, right? And we would keep the bread. We wouldn't open the package, per se, if we knew that we weren't going to use it at that time. So we would put it in the freezer, and then when we would use it, we would open the package, take it out. We would sprinkle some water on it. We would put it in the oven. We would have fresh bread. I've never had that experience in my home. Why? Because in my home, well, bread wouldn't last long. 
If you grow up in a Latino family, let me tell you something. One of the staples of Brexit, of breakfast is cafe con leche, milk with coffee, and toasted bread. That is like, that is the culture, right? And so another friend of mine that is Cuban, he was telling me that what they would do with bread after they felt that the bread had expired, they would keep the loaf and then they would take it and pass it through a grinding mill, turn it into powder and make cake. And I said, that is interesting. I've never done that, okay? I said, but I didn't know you could do that. He says, oh no, in Cuba, we would do that because, well, that's what we would do during a time of poverty. We would just basically preserve the bread like that. It's interesting how the Holy Spirit here gives us through this text, right, the image of Jesus after being crucified. Now he is being taken down from the cross. But understand something that the Bible tells us in the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Now, he also tells us that the Word became flesh. Jesus, in one instance, when the Pharisees were trying to out-Bible the Bible, it's interesting because the Pharisees would do some really dumb stuff. They would try to go into Bible competitions with the Bible himself. And so they said to him, well, we, our fathers, ate the bread. Ate the bread. He said, that's not the bread. He says, I'm the true bread. I am the bread that came down. I have become flesh. I am the sustainer of your life. I am the sustainer of your generations. I am the sustainer of your marriages. I am the sustainer of your health. I am the sustainer of your soul, your spirit, your future, your hope, everything. I am the sustainer. And so we see here now that they are taking down the word that became flesh and they are taking him down from the cross. First, let me explain this to you, that the world demonstrated on the cross what it thinks about God's word. When they lacerated the body of Jesus, when they attacked Jesus, they attacked his reputation, they did everything in their power to try to annihilate Jesus. It was the system of darkness letting the Christian or letting the follower in Jesus know, this is what we think about your living Bible. This is what we think about your Lord. This is what we will do given the opportunity. This is what we will do to everything that represents the image of God. At the cross, the world makes it very clear. This is what we will do with faith in God. This is what we will do with hope in God. This is what we will do with love towards God. We will torture it. We will kill it. We will do everything to it. We will bring down its reputation. We will throw mud at it. We will spit at it. We will do everything. And at the end, we will give it a slow death. That is the mind of Satan. But God has people, if we could go to point number one. God has people. Say with me, people. God has people that he has anointed to do certain things that moves us towards the second day in preparation for the third day. 
It is interesting because it says here that the two of these men, they followed Jesus in secret. Then it says, right, it talks about Nicodemus, and it also puts in the context of Nicodemus nighttime, same nighttime. We need ministers that know how to move when things get dark. We need ministers that will be obedient when the nighttime shows up, when the world is attacking your faith, when the world is attacking the church, when the Satan has come against you, we need ministers that can move us towards the second day in preparation for the third day. Why? Because in the third day, that's when you get to tell the world, you lost again. You lost in the garden. What do you mean that the darkness lost in the garden? Because when the first prophet showed up and God was that first prophet, when the first prophet showed up in the garden, he started speaking about what? The third day. The third day is so important, but we have to know how to move towards the second day. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus are anointed by God to then align themselves with the Holy Spirit during a very dark time and to take the body of Christ. Come on down, I'm talking to the church. Do you see where I'm going? Who are we? The body of Christ. Joseph and Nicodemus then, they take the body of Christ. Oh Lord, please give me people that know what to do with the body of Christ in dark times. They take the body of Christ and they say, no, this has to be done correctly. They have to take that body now and according to Jewish burial, they have to now observe that body. Can you imagine they take this body, and they're looking at this body. They're seeing the disfigurement of Christ, their master, their teacher, their rabbi, their savior and Messiah. And now they have to wash that body, pull every splinter out, because in Jewish burial custom, they just can't throw him in dirt. He has to be preserved. That's why we have to be ministers that know how to preserve God's world or God's word when the world has become darker. There's so many things that people are professing that they are teachers and teachers of God's word. And what they're spitting at us and saying at us are things that are so unbiblical that it teaches you that they don't know how to preserve the word of God. The word of God is not a plaything. The word of God is holy because it comes from God himself. They had to handle the word that became flesh, my goodness, they had to pull out all the splinters. They had to clean that body and wash all that blood off. They had to now turn the body over, look at the lacerations. They had to clean all those wounds. They had to do all of that. Let me tell you something. One of the most difficult things that I have had to face, okay, when I have found myself 
going through my own personal crucifixions, and I don't know if that has happened to you, because we all go through them in life where we feel that we're being crucified, that the soul is being stretched to the point of no return, and you feel that you are not going to make it. And God then causes you by his power and his anointing to look at your own wound and let you know there is hope for you. They are looking at the body of Christ, but yet they are looking through the eyes of the Holy Spirit and they are wrapping up that body because they know that the third day is coming. They are not looking away from the wounds. They are not looking away from the lacerations. They have the courage to look at the stripes by which we have been healed. They are looking at those wounds. Tell your neighbor, not everybody can look at it. Yes, that's why when you have gone through things and you have become frustrated in your spiritual development and you have tried to call people at 2 o'clock in the morning whom which you could think you could relate to and say, oh, maybe you understand what I'm going through. There comes moments where God says, nope, not letting you have anybody that you can relate to in this particular trial. Why? Because there is something I need to show you about you. No long-distance phone calls, no text messages, nothing. No emails, nothing. It is here where God says, no, it's time that you see the wounds of your master, the price that he paid for you, and understand that your wounds are also in his wounds. Oh, my goodness. Therefore, that means that if my wounds are in the wounds of Christ, that means that when Christ rose on the third day, my wounds were healed with his. Point number two, ministers of hope. They were moving and preparing the body towards the second day. We talk about the first day, which is the crucifixion. We rejoice in the third day, which is the resurrection. But the hardest part in spiritual growth is when you have the second day experience. Why? Because in the second day, you don't know what's going on. Nobody is preaching. Nobody is teaching. There's no prophetic word coming down. Nothing. It is just this moment of silence. It's a second day. But this is what the Holy Spirit revealed to me. The victory over Satan in the second day is that Jesus was fighting a battle that you could not fight. He enters into a dimension that no man could enter in and come out victorious. David could not enter there. Joshua could not enter there. Moses could not enter into there. King Josiah could not enter into there. Nobody could enter into there. Queen Esther, with all her virtue and beauty and her love for God and God's people, her fasting and her prayers came to a limit because there comes a point where the Holy Spirit tells you, right up to here, my son, and from here, I have to intercede for you because there is a language that I can speak directly to the Father that you cannot speak. In the second day, Jesus is telling the demons, on your behalf, you are letting them go today. 
I have come to get the keys over their children. I have come to get the keys over their marriage. I have come to get the keys. <laughs> ministers of hope. We need ministers today that know how to pay the price and also how to operate and bring the anointing. That is what Joseph and Nicodemus represent. Joseph was a wealthy man. He knew how to pay the price. Nicodemus brings with him the spices and so much of the weight of the anointing that what we see in both of them is what we all need to operate in in our personal lives. We know, we need to know how to pay that price but under the unctioning of the Holy Spirit. When we say yes to the Father, the Father then empowers us with the anointing to then become ministers of hope so that when we are helping marriages that have been crucified, when we are helping a generation of youth that are going through a crucifixion and are being just basically mocked and just crucified by the system of darkness, we have to be the ministers of hope that can take those individuals and then apply the process of healing to that body. And then it says they wrapped up the body of Jesus. Point number three. How many of you remember that when Jesus was born, what does it say that they wrapped him up in? Do you remember? The swaddling cloths, right? In Judaism, you know what they wrap up in swaddling cloth? The Torah. They take the Torah, the big scrolls, and they wrap it up in linen. It is the word of God. Why? Because they don't want moths or any type of insects to eat the paper of God's holy word so they would wrap it up in these cloths and would protect it. That's why if you ever see a picture of the modern time of the Jewish temples, a lot of them, they have like this covering over the Torah that is sitting on the altar. It is a type of Christ and they don't even know it. That is why when Joseph and Nicodemus come, Oh, my gosh. And it's incredible because the thing about it is Nicodemus was the premier teacher of the Torah in Jesus' time. If you sat at the feet of Nicodemus, it was as if you graduated from Yale, Harvard, Princeton, Brown, all the Ivy League schools, all in one person. And here he is, and he brings the anointing spices, which is myrrh and aloe. Myrrh is a perfume that is used for embalming, but is also used to deal with the smell of death. I need somebody that when I find myself in the second day knows how to deal with the smell of death. Aloe is something that is used for healing. He brings so much of it. Oh, my gosh. People, please understand. There is so much of the anointing accessible to you that you can bring the anointing into your home, into your marriage, into the lives of your children that is so heavy and so powerful that when you come in the unctioning of the Holy Spirit and you are willing to pay the price, if the Holy Spirit says, hey, you want to see your kid free? Hey, how about if you fast two days out of the week? Is that too much of a price to pay? Progressive Christianity wants to teach that you don't have to pay a price. 
That's ridiculous. Because I know in all the warfare that I have engaged in, a price had to be paid. But I understand that when Jesus was in Gethsemane and he said yes to the price, it says in Luke's gospel, immediately. Say immediately. Immediately an angel of the Lord came and strengthened him. You can pay the price. You can pay the price. And so it says that they took his body, they wrapped up the body in these linen cloths, and they are giving us one of the most powerful theological doctrinal lessons to teach us that God's word must be preserved even when they take your Jesus down from the cross. It is one thing when we say, okay, my Christ was crucified. And we start to imagine to see the body of Jesus on the cross. And then we start to think about when Moses was told by God to make a serpent out of bronze, put it on a rod, tell the people, walk by, look at it, and they shall be healed. Jesus is not a serpent. Let me make that very clear. Some people have tried to say that the serpent is a representation of Jesus. Jesus is not the serpent. The serpent is a representation of fear. So when they got bit, they were afraid that they would die in the desert. God told Moses, this is how we're going to deal with fear. They're going to look at the object of fear, and I will give them the victory over fear. On the cross of Calvary, we see the Lamb of God slain on the cross, and God says, we're going to deal with something more powerful than fear, if not the power of fear itself, which is sin and death. And we are going to cause our children to look at the Lamb of God on the cross of Calvary. And so they take your Lord down from the cross because the world doesn't want you to see the crucified Christ because they know that if you tap into God's power through his word and you see then the revelation as to why he had to be crucified, you'll get hope. And so they take the body of Jesus down. We have to be prepared in this time to know when the world is trying to take the body of Jesus down. I don't know if you got what I just said. You are the body, and the world is trying to take you down. It does not want you crucified with Christ. The world wants you to come down from the cross. The world does not want you to see yourself crucified with Christ. Because in seeing yourself crucified with Christ is where you draw power. And they took down the body of Jesus. And the father allowed it in his sovereignty. Because it was preparation for day three. The anointing and the price. Some people think it's easy to preach. The price for good preaching is suffering. Not emotions. Not eloquency of words. Not the study of Hebrew and Greek. The price of powerful preaching is suffering. That is why the most powerful message that heaven preached was on the cross. At the cross, God preached his most powerful message of salvation through what? Suffering. 
and said, this is the door of escape. This is the door of which you shall come in through this door. For the world, the world looks away because it doesn't want to look at that door because that door brings a conviction of sin that most people can't handle. But for those that believe they say how precious is the blood of the Lamb of God that was shed for me on Calvary. How precious is every drop, even one drop of that blood I am not worthy of, but yet he paid the price for me. And so here they are preparing everything for the second day, but it's because they know, hey, do you know the prophecy? Do you know what's coming? Or are you stuck in the second day? Because many of us, when we go through trials and tribulations, and we feel that we're going through the road of crucifixion in our own personal lives, we get stuck in the second day. The second day is where people lose hope. The second day is where people lose faith. The second day is where people start to grow roots of bitterness. The second day is where people start to struggle with their faith and say, I don't think I want to serve Jesus anymore because I just don't want to go through that ever again. The second day is when we have that time. It says here that they were moving towards the Sabbath because the Sabbath is a time of rest. Notice that while the Sabbath was going on, there was really no rest taking place. You ever find yourself struggling to get to a day of rest? Because you've been through so much, you feel you've been stretched on a cross, and you say to yourself, when is this going to stop? You have those moments of silence in which your soul starts to make these negotiations with the spirit. I was talking to Pastor Matt about it. When the soul starts to try to dominate the authority of the spirit and tells you, you really want to keep preaching God's word? You really want to keep saying, oh, Jesus is great on the, in the workplace? You really want to keep confessing, God is going to bless my children? God is going to bless me? You really want to keep saying that? Think about it right about here. You just went through that. You suffered loss. You just went through all that pain. Right here, you get a break in between day number one and day number three. Day number two is where the devil comes to visit you and say, we did it. We conquered your faith. We conquered your marriage. We conquered everything that you believe in in Christ. It came to an end. I came against you. I came against your faith. I came against everything you believe in God's word. Now this is where I speak in second day. While the devil is trying to distract you, what is really going on is that Jesus is binding principalities in day number two. And so we come to point number four. Why preserve the word? Why preserve the word? By preserving God's word, you become a recipient of what is to come. You put yourself in a position prophetically to receive what is to come. The scriptures teach us that when people abandon God's word, that is why in the book of Genesis, what happens? The fall of man came because they did not preserve the word of God, which would have preserved them in the garden. The moment they did not preserve what God had commanded them to do, they found themselves outside of the garden and now slaves to sin and now oppressed by Satan. Satan. 
That is theological truth. The darkness knows it and heaven knows it too. The moment you no longer preserve God's word, trust me, the word of God teaches chaos will come into your life. The devil needs a door to enter into. If the word of God is not there and there is no preservation, that's why some people, they think that let me be religious, that that is actually preserving God's word. No, the scriptures say what? I have hidden thy commandments where? In my heart. Because my heart is deceitful. I need the word doing battle for me. Because my heart will deceive me. If the word of God is not there, the heart is deceived very easily. If there is no word of God in my heart, then the soul begins to tell the spirit, no, God is okay with that. Keep sinning. It's okay. He's, he, trust me, he's your father. He'll get over it. That is the voice of the soul. That is the voice of a soul without the word of God in the heart. But yet, when the word of God is preserved in the spirit, it is where the spirit rises up in us and takes authority over the soul and saying, no, I will not transgress against my God. Joseph said it like this when Potiphar's wife tried to do what she tried to do and make her moves on him. He says, shall I sin against God? Joseph was preserved. Because of something that happened that was relational between him and God. It is the word of God that brings the healthy fear of the Lord. Because when we have the healthy fear of the Lord, guess what? We are preserved. When my flesh wants to take me into trouble, say, no, the spirit says, no, we're not going into that direction. The authority of God's word in me says, oh, no, you don't. I tell my flesh, yeah, I know you're trying, and I know you're trying to wear me down, but I stand firm in God's word. Nicodemus was a man of the word, but then when Christ came to his life, he became a man of revelation. If you're going to walk in God's word, make sure that you also are a person of revelation. Nicodemus was a man of God's word, but he was lacking one thing, which was the revelation of God's word. And then when the revealed word of God came to his house and sat with him at the table and says, you must be born again in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Day number two, we are victorious. Mel Gibson just said recently when they asked him, are you going to make a part two? To the passion of the Christ, he said, yes, I am. It's in the word. They said, really, based on what? He said, based on number, day number two, after Jesus is taken down and before the resurrection day. That, for me, if he can pull that off. <laughs> right, Pastor? If he can pull that one off, oh, my goodness. Hey, I pray that the Lord give Mel Gibson the grace to do it. I pray that he gives them all the grace and the right people biblically to help him. But most importantly, that the Lord give him the Holy Spirit so that therefore, hey, who knows if maybe a lot of people will come to the word of God through something like that. I don't know. But guess what? A lot of people did come to Christ through the movie of the Passion of the Christ. The preservation of God's word 
We are all called to that responsibility. Can you imagine the day when we go before the throne of God? All of us here got to stand before that throne. Not for a judgment of condemnation, but to give an account of what we have done with what God has entrusted into us. Joseph of Arimathea was entrusted with the body of Christ. We as the ministers have been entrusted with the body of Christ. You as members of the body of Christ have been entrusted to love one another. The anointing that God has given us through the Holy Spirit is to do what? To preserve your brother when different forms of death try to come into his life. The death of faith, the death of hope, the death of love. That's when we activate in the anointing of God and activate in the healing power of the Holy Spirit. To do what? To preserve them. To wrap them up as preserving the word of God in them. I close with this. <laughs> oh, man. I wrote this down and I received this right before. I took the mic. When Jesus is taken down from the cross, and trust me, the governments of this world are working very, very hard to do that. I know that my Lord and Savior is not on a cross, okay? When I say these things, I'm speaking figuratively. He is not on the cross. The world is trying to take down the Christian faith. And guess what? They're going to fail. That is guaranteed. They are going to fail. Why? Because the scriptures tell me that God used two men to take the body and preserve it. That means that when the world makes its attempt to get rid of Jesus and his followers, God has anointed people to preserve the body. Because we are moving towards the third day. What is the third day? The third day is when our Lord and Savior comes out of that tomb and he tells us it's time to receive. I have defeated all of your enemies for you. I have the keys now. The authority and the powers, all of it is mine. I give you a faith and a hope that you can anchor your life in because your future is sure in me. I think about those two men and, I'm, you know, it's like there are things that I do that are almost childlike in my faith. And I imagine myself, when we find ourselves as the whole body of Christ in the presence of the saints that died before us, there are a lot of people in Scripture that I just want to say thank you. Two of those people is Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Because they were followers of Christ. And although under pressures, Joseph followed him secretly and so did Nicodemus. But the time came when God said, boys, it's time to come from behind the curtain. And it's time to demonstrate your faith publicly. And I have a time for you in which when you do it, it will bring great honor to me. And it will honor the life of my son. My gosh. That is just hitting me so deep. When you think about those two men, we give God thanks. 
I give God thanks for each and every one of you. Why? Because when I look into your faces, I see the evidence of the resurrection. Notice that God did not allow Joseph of Arimathea to deal with that by himself. He had help. Say help. Yes, that's right. You have help. When it comes to dealing with wounds, when it comes to dealing with blood, when it comes to dealing with splinters, when it comes to dealing with bruises, shame, guilt, everything, all of the things, all of our chastisement that was placed on Jesus Christ, when it comes to dealing with that, you have help. Let us bow our heads. Father, we just worship you. We worship you. We worship you. We worship you. We worship you, Father. We exalt you. Father, we honor you. We honor you during this time. We thank you so much, Father, for your gifts of grace. Father, thank you for the greatest gift of grace of all, which was your Son. Father, and at the same time, you gave us yourself through your Son. Father, thank you. But thank you for the people that you have anointed, like Joseph of Arimathea and like Nicodemus. Father, that you gave them great courage, O oh Lord God. Father, to deal with the body of Christ. Father, I pray, Father, for everyone here. Father, that the anointing of the Holy Spirit, Father, fall fresh on each and every one of us as we are moving towards times that appear to be darker. But Father, you have given us the anointing to operate and move even in darkness, just like Joseph and Nicodemus did. The Holy Spirit was not stopped. The Holy Spirit was still moving. And Father, I just pray that you give us the courage, Father, to preserve your word, the living Torah himself. Father, the word, O oh Lord God, to preserve the testimony of the risen Christ. Father, give us the strength, O oh Lord God, and preserve us, preserve our souls and our spirits. Father, and give us the anointing that we need in the last days, Lord God, to walk as preservers of your word and your doctrine. For, Father, the third day is coming, the day in which our Lord and Savior is going to appear, and he is coming for his bride. He is coming for his children. And he is coming, O oh Lord God, for the victorious ones, the ones, O oh Lord God, that walked out of the tomb with him. Father, I thank you. I declare, Lord God, healing. I loose a word of healing, O oh Lord, for those that have gone through the second day experience. The second day experience, Father, where their faith was challenged. But Father, you prepared us before we went into that second day. Father, you are the preserver of our souls. I thank you, oh dear God. I give you the glory. I give you the honor. Lord God, my highest praise is yours. Help us, oh Lord God, to regain our focus on what it is to pay the price. Because if our Lord did it, then we, oh Lord God, can do it too. Father, thank you. If there's anyone here that is dealing with anything that is physical in nature and you want prayer or something emotional, something spiritual, 
just lift up your hands and I will pray for you and release a word. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord God, I present all your children, Father, that are raising their hands right now, that have humbled themselves before your presence and have asked for the grace of the Father, the Son of the Holy Spirit. Father, your word teaches that when we humble ourselves and ask in faith, we shall receive. Therefore, Father, I bind right now. Father, and I call to a halt whatever affliction that they are going through and whatever messenger of Satan that has attacked them in any way. And I lose, O oh Lord God, a word of freedom, a word of health, a word of healing, a word of courage, a word of full recovery and peace of mind. This, O oh Lord, I declare in your name, and it is so in your name. Father, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for this word, and thank you, Father, for this evening. Thank you, Lord.